one of the easiest things that everyone can do is to have sincere and consistent du'as, right? So if you, even if you have something as simple as these two du'as or like, you know, the famous one, right? Allah made the become middle custom of Allah, I seek refuge in you from laziness, right? Mm-hmm. Or something is Allah, make me blessed wherever I am. Or even something like Rabbana Ajina. So know it, say it and mean it and be consistent about it. And if you can take it to the next level, which is not much, is to do your morning and evening of God. And know what you're saying. Look at the translation, or if you learn Arabic, then you know what you're saying. That sits, that conditions your mind. You know how people say, oh, meditation and affirmation. If you look at the morning of God or the evening of God, it sets your mind to rely on Allah and make, have a productive, valuable morning and a very valuable and productive evening. Just wanted to take a quick 20 seconds to say Jazakumullah khairan to all of the listeners. Alhamdulillah, the podcast has grown a lot in the last six months of this year. And uh, I'm intending to be more consistent and upload more. The main way the podcast actually spreads is by word of mouth and shares. So I will request that if you have found benefit in it over the last few months and the recent episodes, then please do share it to someone else that you think will benefit and also leave a rating on your podcast platform. Jazakumullah khairan and now back to the episode. Okay, assalamu alaikum all and welcome to another episode of the Optimized Muslim Podcast. Today, alhamdulillah, I'm very happy to be joined by Brother Coach Zubair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you doing, Adul? Alhamdulillah, all good. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. He's a strategist, a breakthrough coach, and he works with various different organizations. You probably have seen him in some form. I know I've seen videos of him on Digital Mimber, and over the years, I've actually seen a few different videos where he's come up on my feed. And he's an interesting person to have on because he's involved in a lot of various different pursuits. And I feel like he's a good person that's aligned with the Optimized Muslim Project to inspire young Muslims to be better. And just carrying on reading from his bio. So he's been on a mission helping to develop stronger believers. And he has been doing that since 2008. He's benefited from a range of diverse experiences working with Islamic scholars, innovators, coaches and entrepreneurs. Um, he also works in inviting non-Muslims to Islam, coaching new Muslims, conducting da'wah and new Muslim mentor trainees, leading da'wah and also conducting various workshops. He works with various organizations like IERA, IOU, Al-Huda Institute, um, Abu Huraira Center and Islam Wise. So, and he also, as a day job, he works in cybersecurity, which is quite interesting. Um, so I'm looking forward to speak to him on a range of different topics and learn from him and started then um brother can can you just share a bit about your background education um growing up that kind of thing sure inshallah well thank you first of all for having me here inshallah we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it beneficial to the audience in terms of some of the ideas we will share some uh, some there may be some new pointers that people can inshallah check out so I did my computer science degree uh, from University of Toronto, um, started doing my master's by the same time got engaged in the industry and I'm the there were many opportunities that were aligned with what I wanted to do. Uh, so then I just uh, stopped pursuing my master's degree. So 
essentially, I've been doing software development, programming, cybersecurity right now. And on the site, you know, back then, there was this uh, trend. Uh, I, I would say relatively more than what we see now. Uh, you know, those were the time, like early days of Al-Maghrib, Al-Kawthar, if you will, right? There was a lot more emphasis on seeking knowledge and working and whatnot. And different people were taking different routes. Uh, some were saying, okay, I'm going to go overseas and, you know, I study full-time, which is definitely much more valuable and beneficial. Alhamdulillah, uh, one of my observations, uh, you know, based on my teachers and discussing with other people was that but even if you have a full-time job, Alhamdulillah, there's a lot of time that we have at our hands, right? So I think back then I was kind of calculating. So aside from from your day job, which if, if you take it to be 40 hours, essentially you have like around four months in a year, but a, a worth of time that is, you know, uh, at your own disposal. So you can use that however you want. You can, you know, if you want to have like some relaxing time, fun time vacation, and even if you do half and half, you are almost like left with two months, right? To choose what you can do. And that's one of my main messaging as well. How can each one of us be a stronger believer? How can we be a, be a better version of ourselves? So alhamdulillah, I utilize some of that time uh, to uh, to understand what the religion is about. Growing up was, alhamdulillah, I was a practicing family, but was not as much, you know, into knowledge, understanding the DNA, understanding the various components and so on and so forth. So alhamdulillah, I utilize some of that to, to seek uh, some knowledge, you know, at a very bare minimum, the basics, the foundations with different teachers and what have you. I uh, started learning the Arabic language to be able to first and foremost understand the Quran in the Arabic language. And then, you know, the basic text uh, on different uh, topics and be able to access the lectures or the speeches in, directly in uh, uh, Arabic as well as the books in Arabic. So that's been like the Islamic front of things. And then, uh, you know, with that also started thinking about, okay, how do I not contribute, right? How do I bring value to others? Uh, within the community, and that's where I, you know, delved into different topics, like whether it be Dawah to non-Muslims, to then, okay, while someone becomes a new Muslim, takes the Shahada, what's next, right? What's going on, right? Actually looking at things that hopefully matter, sometimes it may be the harder problems to look at, to, to solve that, because, uh, you know, many times I, I realize that people would just like stop at Shahada, right? So Shahada would be that considered like the end of the funnel, where else it's really early steps of the funnel, you know, from a marketing lingo perspective, because, you know, even the instruction of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was to invite to Tawheed, but then to invite to Salah and whatnot. And a lot of people would focus on just the invitation to Tawheed and, you know, drop the ball after that and, or, or just hope that somebody else would pick it up. So, so that came from that. Actually, even before that, something that uh, I found beneficial in my uh, journey uh, was connection with Quran. So actually I started with, and this is one of the projects I still do is, how do I enable people to understand Quran in Arabic language and to connect with Quran? And that's different from speaking Arabic or learning Arabic. You know, understanding Quran is, uh, is a different ball game uh, that, that can, people can focus on. So I, I've been, you know, doing that uh, on the side. Alhamdulillah, I got to teach at, at university, like Islamic Online University uh, with the support from Dr. Bilal Phillips. So that was a good, uh, you know, breakthrough in that journey and alhamdulillah is something I still do and is still focused on. So that and then Dawah to non-Muslim, which led to new Muslim, uh, work with the masjid kind of led to some counseling and development services as well. And, you know, uh, had to deal with some of the marriage counseling requests that were coming in at the masjid. Uh, and then uh, finally d uh, diving into philanthropy and uh, understanding the whole philanthropy space. Because that's one of the things I like to do just from a technical background as well to not just be at a surface level, but go deep down in the problem and see what's going on. 
So same thing happened with DAWA. Now same thing I'm doing with the philanthropy, understanding the philanthropic organization, the charity sector and whatnot, and how uh, we can be smarter and you know more effective and efficient donors, as well as uh, hopefully launching something that would uh, be um, sort of uh, take a different take at it, be more transparent, be more open, and, and so on and so forth. So that's essentially in a nutshell some of the causes that I'm working on these days. Jazakallah for sharing that. So just like from a timeline perspective, um, so I can just kind of structure it in my mind. You started off with learning Arabic and then you went into teaching Quranic Arabic. Am I correct in that? Yes, yes. Okay, and then you went on to like da'wah and working with uh, new Muslims and once people have become Muslims. Okay, um, and w- which country are you originally from? So I originally from Pakistan. Okay, okay. That's that's good. Pakistan's um, in the bath. <laughs> Pakistan's in the bath. Yeah, I'm also um, Pakistani. So, um, and at what age did you start learning Arabic? So this was uh, for me, uh, I mean, so growing up, like uh, I, I do re- recall that, you know, in, in the Pakistani syllabus, we would have uh, topics like, uh, so we, I, I remember that we had a subject uh, which we would call Islamiyat where. Yeah. And uh, part of that is like you have Quranic ayahs and then you, you have translations. So I know that, you know, uh, just like the way I studied, I always found interested in finding patterns and things like that, as opposed to focusing on memorization. That was my approach to studies. So when we were doing those, you know, translation of Quranic ayahs and perhaps, I think hadith as well, I would try to find those patterns so that if I understand the pattern, then it can help me with other ayats as well. So I, I know it goes back until there but however my main journey kind of started like actually uh, towards the end of my university uh, cycle here in in Toronto and where we were like okay you know what's next right and uh, and I got exposed to different Islamic content and I, you know I'm like I need to understand this more seriously and uh, part of that was obviously to go back to the sources and and be able to understand the sources and and most importantly I think the whole Quran experience right if you think about it and that's one of my things that I really want to emphasize and you know, use your platform to do that for my brothers and sisters. Look, today we learn about anything and everything, right? We, we have learned about Instagram, Facebook, how things work. If it's something important to us, we'll find a way to learn about it. And like to the point of cryptocurrency, right? Like how many people got into cryptocurrency in the last year and so, right? When it was like going up and to understand what it is, how do you do these trades and these digital exchanges and wallets and digital wallets, wallets hardware wallets, I've seen people like invest so much time and they actually figure it out. Now, the question is, uh, subhanAllah, we invest, you know, if you are a practicing Muslim, you have, you know, exposure to Quran, right? Whether it be in your salah, you go in the masjid, you have exposure to Quran, you go for tarawih, you have exposure to Quran. So how come, you know, we're not focusing on actually, you know, hey, why can't I maximize my experience, right? I'm standing there. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's being said. Why can't I spend some time? It doesn't have to be like 10 hours a week, even if it's an hour a week, half an hour a week, over time it can you know, add up. So that was definitely my thing. I do want to do understand Quran directly and be able to access. And you know, obviously back then we probably didn't have as much resources than what's available today, right? You can have a one-on-one teacher for like $9 an hour, right? $10 an hour or something like that, like a really advanced teacher. You have apps, you have so many different things. So. I think it's something that the listeners would think about that, you know, what's my grand plan? Like, do I want to die in a state that I don't, I can't directly understand Quran and how much optimization, you know, optimized Muslim would have in their life if they can 
understand the Quran directly in Arabic. Yes, so that, that was kind of like my main thing to go back to the basics to understand and so on and so forth. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned this um, topic we've spoken about before on this podcast in that just in the last podcast I was mentioning about how now you have hadith directories at your fingertips. Um, you have like phonetic search optimized Quran apps um, where you can just type a phrase that you remember from the Quran even in English and it kind of detects which verse you're referring to it gives you the reference everything so it's about utilizing the information it's, it's less so about the availability or access to information more so the application which is kind of one of the fundamental um, points behind this project because I feel like the information is out there but there's a gap between having the information and knowledge, um, knowledge in the loose sense, because obviously you're not applying it, but then going from that to actually internalizing it and applying it. There's that saying that they have in um, personal development where they say like, if it was just about information, everyone would be a millionaire with six pack abs. Yeah. And the Muslim version of that is like, everyone would be a imam with six pack abs and a millionaire, right? But <laughs> So it's, it is interesting, but then um, it is hard. It is difficult as well to kind of um, get people to that, to that point. And I feel like you're also on that mission or you, you kind of um, have an expertise in that, in coaching people, uh, transforming people. So what would you share on that in like trying to get lay Muslims or people who aren't, um, like you mentioned, they might be, putting a lot of effort in their career whatever their career is or even these side things like crypto and other forms of technology and if only they would apply that same level of interest and effort into um, becoming a better muslim but how how do we get them there in the first place sure sure i think like so even the stepping back right so for me you know it's not necessarily that okay you need you need to excel in islam right which is definitely a great thing which is one of the most important thing for people to excel in right or at least keep growing um however i think the main messaging or the main concern or thing that actually bothers me is uh overall productivity levels right overall efforts level because right now you know yes we have all these apps and things like that which make it much easier to to learn a new skill to pick up and talk to people the podcast which gives you access to different people and whatnot however at the same time you also have access to a lot of entertainment right so if people want they can easily you know get the dopamine effect or what have you by scrolling on instagram or tiktoks or netflix and whatnot so entertainment is also at your fingertips and you can just be sitting on your room and entertaining yourself just feeding yourself with different things um, and, and that can, you know, cause a lot of uh, distraction. It can cause a lot of uh, state of gafla, right? In uh, heedlessness and just be, you know, feeding yourself. Okay, I'm just doing as long as I'm having fun. That's great, right? That, that sort of mentality has also kicked in. Even from the perspective of like, you know, four hours work week or, you know, just a retirement sort of lifestyle and whatnot. I mean, that whole mentality is, is sort of dangerous, right? The question is not, uh, about like how easy you can make your life, but like what is your life about? Like what efforts are you putting in? How are you making yourself better? And even also the the umma better. Now, how do we learn that? Right, you know, obviously there has to be an awakening for a person to realize that look, I need to you know step up and you know uh, uh, and fix myself. And that can happen. The initiation I think could be could be few different places. Uh, it could be your reflection. 
could be reading Quran, understanding Quran. Usually you have a reminder, right, for your life and so on and so forth. Uh, beautiful hadith that we have is that we will be asked about, uh, you know, what we did, right? So, for example, the hadith, the famous hadith about the, the, the feet of the son of Adam will not move unless he has answered the five questions or he has been asked about the five questions, right? His life and how he spent it, especially his youth and how he spent it, uh, how he earned his wealth and where he spent it to, uh, yeah, what's the other ones? Uh, so youth, time, uh, wealth, and, and what did he do with the knowledge that he learned, right? So these are the things that, that we, uh, we have. How do, how do we view, you, view our life? So uh, an analogy, if I were to use, for, especially for our brothers and sisters who understand the investment world, is, you know, if someone comes in and invests in you, say, you know what, here's $100,000 of seed investment for your project. Now, that gives you a feeling. One, is it's great that the person is trusting you. He or she is investing in you or investors are investing in you. But now you're accountable for how you will use that money and what product would you develop or what service would you develop? What revenue will you bring into the table? Or, you know, uh, if you're doing a nonprofit work, what sort of impact would you bring in? So you have the trust from the investor, but you're also accountable. So if we think about it, I think a lot of time we think that this is my body, this is my life, this is my time, these are my eyes, these are my hands. Uh, these are a trust from Allah, right? And if you wanted to and think about it from an investment, I mean, it's not an investment, you know, uh, but it's a trust from Allah. And the question is, how would you use these things that Allah has given you? It's not mine. It's what Allah has given you. How would you use it and what kind of output would you bring? And I think that question is really important for people to think about. And the answer may not be easy, but that doesn't mean that we need to drop the question. Like, who do you want to be in the next five years or 10 years? What skills would you acquire? What would your contribution be to the society, right? And where you would be in different areas of your life. So, so I have a small workshop that I do. It's also available on YouTube and whatnot. And there's a worksheet and whatnot. It actually gives you a system to think about, okay, in one year or in five years, where do I want it to be in terms of my religion? So whether it be thinking about your knowledge or your practice uh, or your daily habits, where do I want to be in terms of my family? Where do I want to be in terms of my finances? Where do I want it to be in terms of my contribution to the society? So when it comes to the contribution, uh, I'm recommending people to think about two things. One is what is the cause? So for example, in a sense of the da'wah, the cause is to share the message of Islam with people who don't know about it, non-Muslim. Right? So that could be a simple cause, a simple mission. But then the second question is, what is the role that you are playing in that? So you could be a marketer who is focused on that cause. You could be a da'i who is focused on that cause. You could be a teacher who is focused on that cause. You could be an admin assistant who is focused on that cause. So I have these two things, right? What's the mission and what is your role? So once you have that, I think that will help you increase the quality of your life. Otherwise, it's just entertainment. So as an example, right, someone may watch the whole FIFA game, right? Someone may do it just for the sake of entertainment, right? And, and that's fine. Someone may do it because they also want to be a great FIFA player, a great soccer player. The person that's watching the game with that intention is different because now they're also learning and that's their thing as well. Same thing with like, you know, any other sports or whatever. Same thing with business, right? So someone who wants to run a business and has started running it or being part of a team, it's not like someone who just consumes content just for the sake of it. So that's one thing, just waking up and thinking about that. Look, Allah has actually, you know, chosen you to be alive and given you this whole body. And if, even if you were to think about it, that's like a $10 million investment in itself, right? How much would you, inv how much would you value your one eye for, 
right? If I say $1 million or losing the eyesight in one eye, what would you pick? Right? So if you look at the same way, the whole body, you're like a $10 million machine, if you will, right? So Allah has chosen to, to create you with this thing. Do you value yourself? Do you value your life? And, and what are you going to make out of that? And I know I'm just talking like one way, but if I may continue. So that's one realization that, look, you are a valuable machine. Make something happen out of it. The second thing, mm-hmm. realization is the, the impact of consistency, right? In investment world, they would call it compound interest. So what people think, oh, you know what? Uh, so let me, let me give you an example, right? So let's say if, if you are getting, uh, you know, a 300 pounds or $300 of regular monthly income, okay? Um, and you have this coming in as passive investment, if you will. Now, if you don't have a plan of what you would do with that money, you're like, oh, it's just $300, it's not much, right? However, if you realize that this adds up to become thousands of dollars in a year, and if I invest property, then it becomes tens of thousands of dollars and so on and so forth. Then if I say, hey, you know what, Adil, let's go for a Starbucks coffee. We prayed Fajr, let's go for a Starbucks coffee. You might come in. Then I say, hey, you know what, great day, Maghrib time happened. We prayed Maghrib, let's go grab another coffee or have a snack at Starbucks, right? If you don't have a plan with what to do with your money, you would say, yes, no worries, no problem, right? But if you have a plan, you'd be like, hey, man, what's going on? I can't be spending 20 bucks every day on Starbucks because I have a different plan for my money. Now, the same thing happens for you. If you think about it, Allah is giving us, you know, let's say 16 hours a day if you're sleeping eight hours or whatever other stuff that we do. So 16 hours of your day until the day you die. So if you don't have a plan for your time, then, you know, Instagram tries to take your attention away, your time away, Facebook, Netflix, TikTok. All these people are kind of inviting you to, hey, let's go for Starbucks. Let's go for Starbucks. The day take 10, 10 minutes from here, half an hour from there, another hour from there. And you keep saying yes, because you don't have a better plan to use it. But once you have a plan, you're focused, you'll be like, no, man, I got to squeeze any amount of time I can. And then I wouldn't be saying yes to all those things. So when you start valuing your time, you will start saying no, just like you would start saying no, if I keep asking you for money or if you keep asking you to go to Starbucks with me. And then you need to realize that, look, it, it may seem like just one hour today or two hours today, but when it adds up, it becomes days, it becomes months. I think one thing I saw on Ilfeed was a, a teacher from uh, India, Kashmir, he actually built uh, you know, a solar power car in his free time. So obviously it didn't happen in a day or a week, you know, it's just gradual improvement. So that's just the second thing to realize is that, look, you know, I may not be able to achieve much in one day, but if I give this consistent two hours of, uh, a day or one hour a day, it becomes consistent. It really adds up. And over a year, over a few years, I can accomplish a lot. And the last thing I would say is that most of the things would require hard work and effort. It's not going to be like quick, you know, Amazon Prime, click and you have it, right? If you think about your life growing up, it took you several months to learn how to walk. And you would fall, you would stand up, you would crawl, you would stand up, and then you walk. Same thing. To be able to speak, it took a long amount of time to learn the words and so on and so forth. So these are the things. Value your life. Uh, remember the importance of consistency and how things add up and have a bigger effect. And most of the things would require deep work and hard, consistent work. Jazakallah khair. Thank you. I love how you kind of very... Um, deeply analyze things from like a first principles basis and then you're able to kind of use analogies to um, explain the point it's uh, really good mashallah just a couple of things that came to mind um, whilst you were speaking that I'd like to mention for the audience um, and also trying to make it more practical as well so you're saying like if someone truly values their position in life 
they value that the, the gift and trust that they've been given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they understand their purpose and they get closer to Allah that in itself acts as a massive catalyst for you to start looking at your life in terms of I'm here for a limited amount of time I need to kind of optimize or make the best use of my time in a way that's most pleasing to Allah so that having that kind of frame shift in itself is very powerful in terms of like how it'll have an overarching effect on the rest of your day and then that goes into how um, say social media and all of these different things that are competing for your time whether that's social media whether that's um, going to places um, with your friends or whether that's wasting time in other ways I think FIFA World Cup England's playing right at three o'clock or something right today so <laughs> there's going to be like competing uh, different um, different things that are competing for your time but if you have that mindset um, where you're on your purpose it's like with anything else you know how some people have a purpose of like oh I want to build this business to this much revenue that's their purpose so it's like their north star in a sense it kind of guides their actions everything has to help towards that in some way um, and then the last thing about being consistent these are all challenges that we all face constantly even if you're someone who's relatively good um, let's say compared to the average person you're into self-development and you've read these books atomic habits and all the rest of them and you you kind of think that you know this stuff the way the brain works and like your neurology is still a challenge for you it's still a challenge for you not to get dragged into instagram or tiktok for 10 minutes so that's why all these challenges they stay very relevant just recently i started using a um an app blocker for my um so instagram and stuff like this and basically what i use it for is it doesn't allow you to get on the app until you connect the charger or you can use time as well and that had a massive impact um because on the one hand i'm i was justifying it saying that oh i need to post for my project and this that and the other but then that still allows me to post but i use the kind of philosophy that i made up called post and run <laughs> so i basically just post get off it and it's a challenge and then you're competing against these neuroscientists that have designed the apps to be sticky and all the rest of this jargon that they use so you have to keep on the ball and um so yeah jazakallah khair for sharing uh, that so i wanted to move on it's interesting to get the perspective of someone who's um a deep thinker like you and they're also involved in that field of work and um why it's also inspiring is because you're not someone who's involved in one pursuit full time you have like a norm you have like a cyber security job as well um so it's more relatable in the sense of like muslims in the west trying to balance different things so what what um i ask a lot of guests about dawa um in terms of because you're involved with guiding new muslims helping new muslims and even attracting people towards islam um what would you share about like the current ways muslims are doing dawa um the kind of youtube dawa um and then i i have this framework where i say like dawa 1.0 and dawa 2.0 1.0 is like hyde park face to face um which is arguably the lesser of the two and then 2.0 is like lifestyle dawa your colleagues at work those people that you have long term kind of relationships with um what 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 would you share in terms of from someone who's on the ground that works in this um your right. thoughts on Absolutely. dawa sure so uh, just a quick step back firstly. So when we were talking about the personal development and you like optimizing your life, I think uh, so I had in mind and then I slipped out. One of the easiest things that everyone can do 
is to have sincere and consistent du'as, right? So if you, even if you have something as simple as these two du'as or like, you know, the famous one, right? Allah may the become middle custom. Allah, I seek refuge in you from laziness, right? Mm-hmm. Or something is Allah, make me blessed wherever I am. Or even something like Rabbana Ajina. So know it, say it and mean it and be consistent about it. And if you can take it to the next level, which is not much is to do your morning and evening of God. And know what you're saying. Look at the translation, or if you learn Arabic, then you know what you're saying. That sits, that conditions your mind. You know how people say, oh, meditation and affirmation. If you look at the morning of God or the evening of God, it sets your mind to uh, rely on Allah and make, have a productive, valuable morning and a very valuable and productive evening. So, so now moving on to your Dao 1.0 and 2.0. So I think, first of all, that's a brilliant observation, right? Now, what's happening, I think, for most people, what Dawa means is to watch videos and to comment on videos and to pick a speaker and to join the cyber fight. You know, that is not Dawa, right? And this same thing happens with FIFA for any other thing. You have a team that you are cheering for and that you have a team that you may be criticizing. But to be honest, you have nothing to do with that team, just the fact that you maybe share the same religion or you share the same country. You have done nothing for that team, right? So the question is like, who, who are you? Who, are, who is Zubair? Who is Adil as an individual, right? Uh, if you cannot be above average, if you cannot be the top 5%, top 1%, be something, be somewhere in the range, you know, start, start your own movement. Who, who are you a soccer player? Are you, uh, you know, like Habib in the ring? Are you like a da'i, like, you know, the top du'as and what have you? Who are you? What's the problem that you are solving and that you are contributing to? So that's first and foremost mindset of being a doer, not just being a spectator, cheering and clapping for other people's successes or criticizing them and not doing and thinking that, oh, their success is your success. No, that's not true. They have put in a lot of effort. What have you done? So, so that's one of the main things to figure out. First of all, what am I going to do? And then the second thing is how I'm going to do it and who I'm going to do it for. So the Hyde Park and all the debates, that's useful for learning and, you know, you, you get some, uh, you know, impact. But again, if your goal is that, look, I want people to actually live Islam, then as you said, I think, and that's my call, right? The Dawa 2.0 is, is probably the best way because your colleagues, your neighbors, your class fellows that are non-Muslims, these are the people that you have a rapport with. These are the people that you you know, you have a conversation with day in and day out. And your job, if I were to say, look, and, and I have a full training of that specifically focused on that. I've, I've walked people through how do I initiate a conversation with my colleagues? How do I carry it forward? What is the message that I want to convey? So the, the question would be that, okay, you make a list of people around you and have a target that look every week, if, if a week is too much, every month I'm going to initiate a conversation with a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, a neighbor of mine, or whoever you are focusing on. And what is the goal? The goal is not to smash them in an argument. The goal is, look, I want to tell you what Islam is about. What is the Islamic or the Quranic narrative of why we are here? Why is there pain? How is Allah going? How is the God, the creator going to judge me? What's going to happen after I die? I want to convey that story, that narrative to you. And I will also show you some evidences of why this makes sense, why this is logical, why this is the right way, and then leave it at that. And because you want to invite the people, you want to give them information, let them think about it. Because if you are going to, okay, you know what, let's, let's have a fight, you know, hands up, guard up, and I'm going to smash you, I'm going to show you my argument is stronger, it will not work. 
right? Because person will get defensive and so on and so forth. So that's my main thing. Look, have a goal. Like you have 50 people, 100 people in your, in your network. You know, if you try to focus on one person a month or a week, whatever, and have your goal that, you know, by, I, will, I just want to have communicated to one person per month. That, that's good. If you want to say one person per week, that's even better. But have something like that and a start. And when you start doing that, then all this DAWA content, my content, other content, the whole courses that we have would be valuable for you. Otherwise, it's just information that you just like watch like any other information. It's obviously better than watching Netflix in general, but then what's the point, right? You have to think about, you know, connected to the end goal here. Mm. Yeah, JazakAllah khair. Uh, again, it's um, something that we've spoken about before because I love how you broke it down into... Um, like a target essentially what what gets uh, measured gets managed as they say and i think a lot of people will go through their entire life say they've been working for 5 10 15 20 years in the office environment um, and they have this um, misplaced assumption that them just being a brown person is somehow da'wah to islam even though if you were to analyze their average working day they're all they're talking about is the series and the sports events and like going out to eat at different restaurants. So then the question is, how is that da'wah? You just being someone that they don't even associate Islam with, you have to relay it somehow. As in like, there has to be some perceptible difference about you that sooner or later, if you're not actually making the uh, conversations or initiations, something should pique their interest in a way that people want to find out like oh you seem quite calm in stressful situations you never get angry why is that and oh this person never gets angry and then that gives you an opportunity to mention uh, like the hadith on anger and how the uh, sawwaf and how we kind of tazkiyat on nafs and all these topics but if you're just there turning up and don't have a plan like I'm going to speak to this many people it's not like a light matter in a sense that we will be asked about um, you spent this many years in such and such environment you had these opportunities you never did anything with it and then the sad part is now we're coming to like Christmas time um, and it, it's at moments like this when people have done nothing their entire year to actually remind people about Islam at moments like this they'll say things like oh but if we don't partake then it shows us in a bad light and it's like a completely reversed warped notion so I'll give it back to you if you want to add anything, but then I'll also add another question that you can follow up. Um, in terms of, because I was watching your interview with Brother John Fontaine, um, and you were talking about, you mentioned in the intro as well, actually, about how um, becoming taking the shahada becomes like the end of the funnel, right? Um, so just if you could elaborate on that, how you can assist uh, people once they take the shahada, um, because me personally, if someone was to ask me, I'd, I'd probably just direct them to someone who I think is kind of better than me at taking them through that journey. But what would you advise like the general Muslims, what they can do? Great. Okay. So it's a seven, but maybe I'll just, um, I, I don't think you meant that, but here's something like, I think, which is related to one of the messaging is that we have to be, you know, uh, non-naive. We have to be smarter as well. We have to ask questions. So just because I'm coming and saying something on the screen or a popular speaker is coming and saying something on the screen does not necessarily mean that this is right or does not necessarily mean that it is the best approach. So one thing that, you know, some, some, some of the speakers are saying, oh, Dawah has to be passive and, you know, have focus on your character and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, I would disagree, 
right? Like Dawah is an active act, right? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was known as a Sadiq and Amin, right? And and he 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 called out, you know, proactively, right? He he stood up at the mountain and said, like, you know, if I were to warn you and so on and so forth. So he developed on that rapport, alayhi salatu was salam. So that's something really important. The Dawah is a is a calling. You have to invite people to do good, right? And and people do that same thing for business. So that's just something I would like to say that, look, you know, let's not, you know, bring our A game to the Dawah. Let's not bring our B game or D game to the Dawah, if you will. Right? Be proactive. You have to have a conversation and you can initiate a conversation without, you know, jeopardizing your business relationships or your whatnot. And, you know, we talked about it in detail in the training. We can go into it, but, you know, that, that's not meant for it. So, so that's the first thing. The mindset that it has to be proactive. You, should, you need to be comfortable to initiate a conversation. You need to be able to communicate by that. What is this about? And it is going to be proactive. Um, the second thing which is related to that is to carry your Muslim identity. And, and that is something like for when people become successful, uh, they start hiding their Muslim identity as well. Yeah. Sorry, I think there's a bit of a delay in the um, thing. I just raised my hand because I was going to quickly add uh, the devil's advocate because this is what people say. Um what about when people say, oh, but I'm using wisdom and hikmah and, um, you know, being direct, even though you just said it's clear, there is an invite. What would be the response to those that say, you know, I'm all about using hikmah and indirect kind of indirect Machiavellian dawah ways? Well, yeah, I mean, you have to see by like, does it, one second, sorry, uh, does it work, right? Like, does it, does it work? It can, right? But that's, that's like really, really very rare. I mean, I have never seen someone coming to me and saying, oh, tell me about your religion. First and foremost, people, people are relatively like, you know, reluctant to bring it, this topic up on their own. And you just, you know, being who you are, you know, well, first of all, like, you know, let, let's even step back. Look, let me tell you something very interesting. It, it, many people don't mention it. But look, the people who are supposed to be a Muslim will die as a Muslim, whether or not if you and I do anything about it or not. Right. So that's something really important. People who Allah has written guidance for them and who are deserving of guidance from the mercy and justice of Allah will be guided whether or not you and I do anything about it or not. The question is, do we want our share in it or not? And you know what? Even, uh, even apart from that, it's again with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are not like a car salesman that we only get rewarded when you sell a car. Right. Allah rewards you for your intention and your efforts. So even if you give da'wah to 100 people and none of them accept Islam, you are going to be rewarded. And I would probably potentially argue that even more rewarded than someone who actually had people taking shahada with them because your work in general would be harder. So, so to your point of like, okay, you know, working with ihsan, if you will, right? So if you want to spend your life in giving da'wah, is it ihsan to just be passive or is it ihsan to actually call people to Islam? Right. Uh, yes, yes, it, it, it is important for you to be like who you are and have good character and whatnot. But then you're not, you, you can't say, oh, I'm spending time on Dawah. And that's fine. You could be doing other things. Not everybody is going to be in Dawah. So that's, that's what I would say. That look, I mean, if you want to focus on the problem of Dawah itself, how do I make non-Muslims aware of Islam and share the message of Islam? I think without doubt, with the data, you can say that, look, if you are going to be passive, it's not going to work. And I'll give you one example, right? So when I do like, you know, one of the, one of my target audience is the concierge in my building, right? People who are on the concierge, the security staff and whatnot. And I would like, you know, sometimes I take my time, just say hello to them, what have you. 
And this one gentleman here, you know, I was just building a rapport. You know, I said, okay, one day I'll have a conversation with him about Islam. Even before I can have a conversation with him about Islam, he had a conversation about his business to me. He reached out. He's like, you know what? Hey, you know what? This is not my main thing. I am a financial advisor on the side. Here is my card. Okay. And that is our approach when it comes to our businesses, our products, our services. But when it comes to Islam, how can we have the B game? Mm. Right. So, so that's, that's, you know, I think that hopefully uh, makes it obvious. Even if you go on, on the Sunnah, right, the Sirah, it wasn't a passive Dawah. It was active. Uh, and, and what I was saying earlier about is that, you know, don't drop your Muslim identity. You know, one of the easy things that you can do at work, and hey, you know what, let me tell you something interesting. Like, even when you say people are living Islam, right, I know people, let's say they would say, oh, I'm taking a lunch on Friday. Okay, uh, I'm away on lunch even though they're going for Friday prayer. I know people who wouldn't even say I'm going on my Friday prayer. I mean, I do that because obviously like, I'm trying to be proactive, but you're yeah. not, you're, oh, I, I don't want to come to social events or, you know, I don't drink alcohol, whatever, right? So you, people are just saying those things. They don't even bring Islam to it. And, you know, something interesting that Habib said, you know, in one of his interviews, he's like, you know, I don't understand when, you know, when, uh, when a Muslim sports or uh, athlete personality, they become famous and they grow they hide their identity or they're not sharing their identity as Muslim. And I think that's something that we need to, you know, uh, to think about. Like, uh, you know, again, there's a balance to it. One simple example, when I would go to Microsoft headquarters, there's a big, you know, Filipino population there. And uh, I would see that, you know, when, when Filipinos are among each other at Microsoft headquarters, they're speaking in Filipino, their own language, okay? I'm not saying that that's what we should do. But what I've seen that people would be even reluctant to say salam, right? So that's that, you know, uh, that, that sort of, you know, when we try to integrate too much. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And we've all seen examples of this. It's quite sad, really, but um, it does happen. And I think it comes down to the fundamental thing is um, not being able to sit with an element of discomfort not being able to either not even having the confidence and that's as a result of not acquiring the requisite knowledge and information of how would I answer these questions not even having that full confidence in your belief system I know you also teach about dismantling doubts and criticisms and I think that's very important like um, from an early age I had like an Evernote and it was all about rebuking atheist criticisms of Islam not I'm not even in the front line as in that's not my thing and I pray for the people that are because I think that has the potential to affect people um, you have to be very strong in your own uh, beliefs I sometimes the way I used to think of it is like I just don't want to think about like I, I don't want to kind of think about these I'm okay I, I don't know it sounds a bit wrong when I say it like that but it's like I didn't want to read like Richard Dawkins and all these others because I felt like that might kind of tinge some of my um, beliefs or practice in a way um, so obviously more power to those that do it but we all should have like some knowledge whereby at least we can walk around carrying our deen with some confidence if someone asks you something you can kind of answer or you can uh, engage in conversation because without that you're not going to have that strong frame from which to even engage in a conversation and then also Beautiful. about yeah and then also about being able to weather a bit of discomfort Oh, uh, are you taking part in the secret Santa? No, we don't celebrate Christmas. And then they can follow up with questions. You're being, it's none of this like, oh, 
I don't know what to get and I'm not good with gifts and these kind of answers. It's like that passive approach. Um, but the next uh, question was about um, the new Muslim one. Yeah. Right. But just a quick building about on your point about, look, so, so by the way, look, that's what I'm saying. The DAO 101 or, or 100, 1.0 that you see on internet is not the only DAO. So the point being that you don't need to have, you know, arguments like, you know, understanding Richard Dawkins, you don't need to have arguments about what you see on Hyde Park. Like most of the people see that, you know, I think someone said that like, you know, there's only like uh, 1% of the population on internet or social media or whatever the percentage is, but they are very loud, right? So you think everybody's like that, but that's not true. So my, what I'm trying to say is like, if you take a look at the, the hundred people around you, 80 or 90% of those people don't need those arguments. So you don't yeah. have to. I mean, in my training, I don't go into those arguments. I think the key things are you being able to s explain our story, the Quranic story, which is the story of Adam alayhi I think if you tell that story, you tell who is Allah, what is salvation in Islam, right? How do sins work, right? And yes, people would have sins, the whole salvation story, and be able to uh, give them the understanding that, look, how the messengers work. That, look, it's just all the same messengers is that Muhammad is the final messenger that's the last form of law. So we are not turning our back from any other messengers. I like to use the example, especially with Christians, that look what happened at the time of Moses, peace be upon him, Musa salam, when Jesus came in, some people accepted the message and some people rejected him. Right? Obviously, people should have accepted him because he is now representing the same God. The same thing happens when Muhammad came, some people accepted and some rejected. What, what Islam is that you're accepting all three of the messengers and all the previous messengers, uh, this concept, and then the clarification that looks science and religion are two different things. They answer different topics. They're not at fight with each other. They're not at odds with each other. They are complementary, if you will. Uh, you know, Islam or religion would answer the question about who and why, right? And science is more about the how, how things work, what are the principles mm -hmm. and how we can use those principles to build something out. So these are the four or five basic things that if you can communicate, that's it. And, and you don't need to, because none of that requires you to argue. And anybody can argue about anything in today's world, right? Everybody has their own story. So Elon Musk may come in and say, hey, you know what, we are in a simulation. Go ahead and argue with that, right? Because anybody can say anything, right? Because you haven't seen that, you haven't seen, you haven't witnessed it, and anyone can argue for their cause. So you need to be able to just know these four or five things that I just mentioned, clearly explain it to them, and make sure that you understand that they are logical. There's no logical contradiction to it. And then let people make their own choices. And that's the doubt, right? You don't, that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to understand all the atheistic arguments, all the philosophical arguments. Actually, as part of my Dawa course, one of the components I have is first and foremost, protect yourself, right? Don't go and play in a league or don't go in a lane that can hurt you. It doesn't mean that the answers are not there. It's just that you are mm. not prepared for that. So obviously, mm. first and foremost, protect yourself. If someone that you're interacting at that philosophical level, you know, give them Sapiens Institute website and, you know, yeah. all those books and what have you, move on to the next people. There's, there's a huge amount of people that are just neutral. They just want to hear the message. Now we yeah. can go into Numasim side if, if you don't have any follow-up on that. Yeah, no, that's great. That's exactly what I was getting at. And I forgot to that very important point about numbers. Um, less than one percent i would say it's like 0.1 percent and uh, arguably the same effect you can find across different sectors and different philosophical schools of thoughts or different ideas whether that's like 
um, I was mentioning in the last one about how Muslim men, um, when you consume too much of this red pill and men versus women and feminists and all the rest of it, and oh, look at these Muslim feminists saying this, you forget that 99.9% or roughly of um, Muslim females or women are not even on public social media profiles. They don't even make themselves visible. So why are we focusing so much on the 0.1% that might make a video and say that they make their husband do this or whatever else, right? So it's about keeping perspective as well in the grand scheme of things. So now you've got a shahada. And yes. um, what, what are the next steps? How do you navigate that process? Okay, good. So two things. First and foremost, like you know how you mentioned that I'm going to pass them. Uh, can you hear me say again? That's... Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Oh, so I think yeah, there is some sort of lag, at least in, in the video. But I think in the recording, it will be fine. Anyway, yeah. so the point I was saying is that uh, first and foremost, like, you know how you said that I will pass on to someone better. I think that's mean that we shouldn't think about that. The Dawah is simple. Anybody and everybody can do it. It's just the basics, right? The basics, everybody can do it. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't have time or you focus on something else, that's understandable. But just don't say, oh, because, you know, I need to, because the du'as, the student of knowledge, the tulab al-ilm are probably not the best person for the new Muslim. Right? They have a lot of other things going on. So don't just wait, oh, somebody else will do it. Yes, as I said, you know, people will do it. Somebody will do it. The question is, what do you want to, to, what do you want to do, right? If you don't want to focus on this, that's fine. But what are you going to do about it? So that's one. The second thing is, we need to understand what the shahada means. Okay. And recently I posted something and, you know, there was like a big uh, interaction. So that's the thing. If you post stuff that's controversial or, you know, garbage, if you will, people will interact without even looking at what you are actually saying. And that's the whole social media deal. But the main point that I'm trying to say is that, uh, look, even if you look at, look at the Sira, right? The Meccan period was different than the Medinian period. The cost of taking Shahada in the Meccan period was way high. So if someone is taking Shahada in Meccan period and being public about it, you know, most likely they are actually serious about it. In the West, the cost of taking shahada is really, really low. So that's the first thing you need to realize. Many people think, well, I want to marry a convert. And, uh, you know, they have different intentions behind it. One of the public intentions that they say is, oh, they have higher amount of faith or they are higher value. But that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. We are not living in Makkan period, especially in the West. Yes, if, if it's someone in India taking shahada, coming from a Hindu, Hindu family, probably, yes, they have a higher level of iman because they're making that commitment. But especially in the West, that's not the case. In the West, if I were to give you an analogy, it's like people signing up for gym membership in January. Right? You know how, how much commitment it takes. So that's the first thing that we need to understand if we have the right mindset, that it doesn't mean that someone is taking a shahada. Yes, we are happy for them. Yes, we hope good for them. Yes, we celebrate it. But we also need to realize the reality that it's not the end of the game, it's the beginning of the game. Right, they are in starting something, so we cannot drop uh, the ball there. Now, secondly, if you are in Dawa, you have done all the training, you did a street Dawa, you spoke to a colleague, and now if you say, "Hey, you know what? The person is taking shahada. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give them a book, set of books, or a gift box, or a card to the masjid, and leave it at that." Again, you're bringing your B game, B game to the game, right? Because that that is that is a very well known. Uh, method of failure. It doesn't work. Because when you do that, they, they, have a, they have just some motivation. And shaitan is after them. Their culture is after them. Their old friends are after them. 
and you think you will just leave them and think that they have the motivation to go to the masjid. I mean, there are many, many stories that we have documented about it. It doesn't work like that. It takes time. Like there's a sister that we are currently working on uh, within our team. Like she was introduced to us eight months ago. Mm. Okay. And she has just started learning how to pray. And she was also given a gift box. So many people would have this approach. Yeah, I've given her the gift box, given him the gift box. Another brother that I have a story about, same thing. He was given a gift box and then just left to it. So, so realize that, you know, the person has shown interest doesn't mean that they're fully committed and then you need to carry on the work and how you do it. We have a course and training system for that. It's just, you need to do consistent work. Again, simple thing. Anybody, everyone can do it. Is it cool? Is it flashy and hot? No, it's not like doing a Dawah and debate, but that's what counts. That, that's what will mm -hmm. help someone to actually be believe in the religion, learn the religion, and then, you know, learn from that. Yeah. You made a, an interesting point that I've not actually thought about before and uh, Alhamdulillah, that's why it's always interesting to speak to different people because this point about um, the amount of resistance towards taking a shahada in a secular age where people, <laughs> we're living in an age where like say if you've got the average 18 to 21 year old, right, and their parents are secular, their parents are willing to, willing and accepting of them, even if they're going to wake up one day and say that they identify as like a, a book. So like the fact that they've taken a Shahada, I've never thought about it, but it's true. The fact that it, there, there's no kind of familial resistance to it. It's not like, you know, when we hear the stories of like the Oliya or people who had a lot of people um, came to Islam through them and they're from Hindu backgrounds and all the rest of it or Sikh backgrounds. And it's like, they were going against their entire kind of ecosystem. It, it carries a lot more weight compared to what you mentioned. So, um, yeah, that's, that's good. I think the easiest way would be to just try and involve someone in your own, in your own life if you can. Because how many, if you're not someone that's heavily involved in the da'wah, how many times are you going to get someone that actually comes to Islam through you? So if you're mm -hmm. not actually, it's not going to be that often. So it's not like, you're dealing with numbers that you can't handle that you kind of struggling with it you're going to get maybe like very few amount in your entire lifetime i guess if you think about it yeah right and and, and it doesn't require that much work because as i said like they they are also warming up so not everybody's able to commit right as i said this example mm. of the sister she took like eight months so which means that in the rest of the last eight months the coach that was assigned to her she just had to keep like some sort of a warm connection to keep going, right? It doesn't mean that she's spending a lot of time learning and training, training her with not. Because yes, yeah, so overall, it, it is manageable, right? Even if you like, you know, so that's why I tell the team that, that we have for new Muslim mentors, even if you give half an hour a week, we can utilize that. But we just want people to be consistent, uh, do their part and so on and so forth. Another common misconception with that is a lot of people would say, oh, converts have these social problems, right? And, and again, just uh, that's one of my themes as well. Let's not be naive. Some people may have a problem of, they are homeless or their parents are kicking them out and so on and so forth. However, ask a question. Is this problem because of Islam? Or is there something else going on? Is there a drug problem? Is there a laziness issue? Is there a mental health issue? That's what's causing them, the person to not work and, you know, being kicked out of the home and so on and so forth. Because if you are asked the right question and you will help them in the right way, if you think, oh, it's happening because of, you know, the common myth, Oh, cliche that, okay, it's a Muslim, so that's why the father is kicking him or her out. And that's not true most of the time. 
So, you know, you need to look deeper into what the issue is and then you can provide help or make the right referrals. Would you agree with me in saying that a good kind of easy to grasp starting point that framework is the GoWrap method by Ayera? Um, so that's, there's two different things, right? That's what Dawa, uh, I, I have, uh, you know, based on my experience, yes, GoRap is good, uh, but based on my experience, uh, I think it, it misses a lot of key things, right? That it does not cover, which I have found to be very valuable in my conversation, which is what I mentioned to you earlier about, you know, the story of Adam Aysanam, uh, the understanding of the messengers and how it's all connected. And mm -hmm. the third thing about, you know, maybe slight component on signs, uh, which they do cover in advanced courses, but the basic one doesn't really touch on that. Mm. So I think that's kind of like what's miss missing. Uh, there is a lack of explaining the names of attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I think it is, it is a good logical framework, uh, mm. but I think it kind of leaves out a lot of important story or the messaging about Islam that can be really valuable, right? So I'd like to incorporate that in my technique. And when I deliver, when I have the opportunity in my add-ons, I would have those elements added there as well. Okay. Um, part of your bio, it states that you, something that intrigues me is working on loon shots with resilience and grit. Mm. What do you mean by that? Good, good. Jazakallah khair. So I think, yeah, so we talked about obviously getting, you know, getting active and doing things, right? So one of the things which is related to that is that we don't necessarily have to work on easy problems, right? So one of uh, the things that I'm passionate about is like, why don't we see a lot of Muslim names? Or, mm. I mean, we do see a lot of Muslim names, but why don't we see a lot of Muslim identity when it comes to R&D and innovations, right? So whether it be technological, whether it be biological, and so on and so forth. I think a lot of the people are just going for the, you know, the easy things, right? As, you, as we talked about, right? Or you see something is hot on the social media, let me just start talking about it. Let me create a YouTube channel about it. Or let me just get a job in some field and what have you. Uh, there are harder problems that we can be working on or some of us can be working on. And that is at the cutting edge of green research and development. So there's a great book, you know, it's called Noon Shots. Mm. Uh, obviously it's available video, audio, whatnot. And, uh, you know, it talks about different innovation, whether it be technological, medical, or business innovation that happened in the last, I don't know, 10 or 20 years. How did it happen? I, I, that's one of my things that I would like Muslims to, you know, pick that up. And there are many Muslims who have actually done that, but then subhanAllah, as they do it, as they, as they become successful, a lot of them kind of drop that Muslim identity. So I think, so these are two things that need to happen. Muslims need to pick more and more of that and also keep their Muslim identity as they become you know, successful by the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Can you perhaps share an example of a Muslim that you feel has done that, that you're willing yeah, absolutely. to name? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, um, so actually before that, I just want to make an additional comment here. So one of the things that's also happening, like, you know, this loon shot is a, is a great book. I really like what the author has done. Uh, now, however, as I was reading the book, uh, he has also made like small video series on that. But something very interesting that happens, you know, sometimes when you look at some of these secular people and you would think that they are secular, but sometimes they may not be fully secular yeah. and that's something that happens. So one of the things that I also recommend people that, look, you may have a professor, a mentor, a teacher who may be great in innovation in a particular area, but that does not necessarily mean that you are going to learn everything about life from them. He or she may not be a great person for marriage advice. He or she may definitely not be a great person for religious advice. 
So one of the interesting things that he has done, uh, which is false, is he has a chapter in the book and it's called um, The Moses Trap, right? So the idea that he's trying to say is that, you know, you will always have people in your life that will try to shun the innovation that may not invest in your innovation because they are focused on operationals or regular business results. However, just to make it, you know, more attractive or sticky, whatever he, the reason he thought about it, or maybe he had other intentions, although I know, hopefully not, he called the chapter Moses Trap to, to relate to the point that, you know, as if the religious people are the ones who are discouraging innovation, mm. right? And, and that's what he shows, like he shows a bearded man in his, in the video series and, you know, to, to show that. And obviously when I'm teaching my students, I'm like, look, you would have these type of professors that they would throw in these subtle messages when they're teaching science and, and technology. And you have to be aware that religion actually does not discourage innovation. We should know from the seerah that Rasulullah encouraged Allah. innovations. The Sahaba spoke up. They, they, they suggest, they asked that, is this Wahi or is this European? And they suggested alternative strategies when it comes to battle, uh, when it comes to agriculture and plantation, to even to the marriage relationships, right? In terms of, you know, having intimate relationship with wife and so on and so forth. So these are all documented things in, in their narrating. And then Rasulullah accepted those different ways and those innovations if they were not contradicting the religious principles. But anyway, that's a side point that you would have some of these people throwing it. Yeah, so one of the things that I do ask, uh, so we have many different people, right? So if you go in cybersecurity, for example, uh, there are, you know, a lot of uh, top cybersecurity startups that actually were originated from people of, you know, Muslim and Pakistani origin, right? So a few of them top of my head are like, if you look up FireEye, that's FireEye, right? It was a big cybersecurity startup that was, uh, you know, started and founded by a Pakistani co-founder uh, or a founder. Uh, there is another one, uh, what's the name? I think, so if you look up Rihan Jalil, that's another Pakistani Muslim guy. He also has a lot of big cybersecurity startups, cybersecurity and related startups. Are they uh, in so these Pakistan? Are, no, are they these in are Pakistan? In, no, that's the thing. They're, they're in US Bay Area, right? In, in the Silicon Valley. Okay. Hmm. But, so that's the thing, but they're not attributed to Muslim startups or Pakistani startups unless you know the, the founders, right? But they are hmm. there as an example. Um, the other names that come, so we have a very uh, famous doctor, Dr. Ahmed. He's, he's in Toronto. Uh, he is really big in eye care and glaucoma therapy and whatnot. He's done a lot of great work on that. Uh, so these are the three names. Another one that I usually show in my personal development workshop uh, is a brother called Shakib. I, I think he's from a South Asian background, uh, but may Allah make it easy for him. He, 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 he grew up as a blind, you know, uh, vision impaired person, right? But he developed a great AI technology for Microsoft. So he's featured in that. His wife, she wears a hijab. She's also featured in that. So these are some of the, uh, you know, some of the names top of my uh, mind. I know, for example, UAE is also focusing a lot on, on it these days called Technology Innovation Institute. But they're bringing in like, you know, researchers from around the world and they're focusing on different uh, sorts of R&D as well to come out from the UAE space. Uh, yeah, I think these are some, some examples there. Yeah, that's, I'm interested to learn more about these people, potentially invite some of them on as guests, um, because obviously I'm always looking for people. Um, it's hard sometimes to see, I only want to invite people who are aligned with the project. So, because otherwise it'll just be like any self-development podcast where mm -hmm. I find someone like, oh, here's a psychologist, bring him on. 
I want to kind of see that they're practicing as well, which which is obviously hard because you can't tell sincerity. But yeah. um, at least from what we can see, um, and it's just whilst you mentioned that point about how the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam encouraged and accepted innovation, I think you were referring to the same story about um, in the battle where um, Salman al Farsi suggested, like yeah, uh, about digging the trench, and. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember that once they did that, it was like a, a bit of a groundbreaking strategy in like the Arab um, peninsula, right? Or the Arab area, um, because it was something obviously imported from from um, the Romans, what um, Salman al-Farsi had seen. But when uh, Abu Sufyan saw it, his first comment was, this is not how men fight or this is not how Arabs fight. And it's, it's just mm-hmm. interesting, like that, the psychology behind it, because it's the same thing that we see all the time um and it's like a timeless thing isn't it like accusing the other of not having um like manliness character or warped sense of manliness i thought that was just interesting but um jazakallah khair for your time i know we're coming to the hour mark i have a few more questions if you've got some time um, yep. am i okay to go ahead with them yes yes okay so um we've touched alhamdulillah it's been quite a wide-ranging interview mashallah um I wanted to ask you more about cybersecurity um, because you work in that as your day job. Um, I don't really know much about it. So obviously I can, the basics about security and internet and all the rest of it, but um, how did you decide to go into that field? And um, also if you could share something for like the average Muslim, something that could benefit them from like cybersecurity perspective. Sure. So I, so this obviously is obviously a common question that you know people would reach out and say, well, I want to get into cybersecurity. And also we have, alhamdulillah, like a group of brothers uh, who try to help out. So I have a starter guide. So if you want, I can send you a link and you can put it in mm. your description as well for anyone who's mm. interested in the field. Uh, there's a document that we have prepared that kind of walks you to different different areas of cybersecurity and, uh, you know, so on and so forth. So uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting area, right? I mean, I also see it like to be very impactful in, in different areas. So, so it's just like was a, you know, first of all, it's, it, it is interesting to me. And obviously it's, it's a good hot area that you can make uh, good money in as well. So, so I think it was a good win-win scenario. Now, just to give a quick uh, a recap for people. Uh, so, so two things. One is also on a touch base, like, you know, when you mention about, so sometimes when you work in corporation, you see a lot of focus, productivity and hard work within the leadership, within the different team members that you don't see, you know, uh, sometime in, in the in the nonprofit sector, in the DAWA sector. So some of the principles that we try to bring in from there uh, into that as well. So like, for example, the cup that I'm having right now, you right, it says like, so th- they just did this like last year. It says it doesn't because a trillion has 12 zeros, right? So they, they reached the, the mark that they were receiving a trillion events per day based on the amount of software that they have installed. So coming back to the point, there are different fields within the cybersecurity. One is uh, as simple as, you know, the policies and the steps and the processes that you can uh, deploy and the technology that you can deploy to secure an organization. And that can be from, you know, password management to the firewall policies to, you know, security software to network security software and, you know, uh, security awareness to train people how to be secure on the internet and so on and so forth. So that's one type of area that's there. The other type of area is, you know, you're an external consultant where you look at web apps, websites, 
mobile apps and you test them or you review them to make sure that they are secure or not. The third area is that you are consultant, but you are more in the response mode. So some organization is hacked, you know, something goes wrong with the website or with the organization, you go in and you try to understand what happened, how it happened, what is the impact, how deep did they get in and, you know, clean up and restore the organization and learn from that. So the, that's the third area of, uh, which, which comes in. The fourth area is again, like, you know, uh, building security products. So products that help organization, uh, you know, remain secure. And then fifthly is, uh, is, you know, the consulting side that I said that you are testing websites and apps and software, you could be in-house, right? So you could be part of a product team and you are working with the product team to make sure that the products are secure, or you could be an external consultant going to different teams and, and doing that sort of uh, work. And obviously it's needed in all areas now with cloud services, software as a service, mobile apps, to these autonomous cars and AI technology and all that. So that's, that's in a nutshell what the security space is about. Mm. Um, limited by time, so I'm kind of going over the topics quickly. Just if you could share, um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the discoveries that you've made in philanthropy, um, applying these mindsets and just the way you break down certain topics. Please, if you could share um, something about that world that you think mm -hmm. a lot of Muslims don't know that they should know or something that we can improve. Right. Great. So I think the first and foremost, it starts with, I would say that, the, you know, my, my personal thing would be like, okay, pick a cause, one or two cause and, you know, get involved in that. Because otherwise there's a lot of noise out there, right? Something as simple as, for example, if you, if you are like, you know, 10,000 feet away from the Dawa field, then you may be thinking, well, Dawa is about, you know, arguments and Hyde Park and debates and the number of Shahadas, right? As, as we talked about in today's episode, Hopefully, if I got clear, that's that's just like the the fancy dawa. There's way more that happens, you know, when you when you hit the ground in terms of the simpleness of dawa, in terms of focusing after the shahada and so on and so forth. So, so understand the problem, right? Because if you are ten thousand, hundred thousand feet away from it, you're not gonna understand. The second thing is, uh, you know, how we donate, right? Figure out the charities that you will donate to. You know, understand what they're doing, what their impact is, right? Uh, and obviously, like, have a percentage, right? So as Allah gives you more, your donation should, inshallah, also increase. So whether it be the 2.5% or 10% of your excess wealth or 33% of it, or whatever it is, you know, have some sort of a goal. And then reach out to one or two or three organizations, understand their impact. But don't only just understand their impact. Look at the efficiency ratio. So let's say if I say, you know what, uh, I build like 1,000 homes in Syria, for example, or, or for Syrian refugees, and it took me like, you know, $10 million to do that. And some other organization says that, uh, oh, we did it for a million dollars, same quality of homes. So you probably want to understand what's going on under like, uh, underneath the surface, right? So, so one of the, some of the things that, that are happening is, you know, that, that's, I find problematic. And again, I don't know if there's a solution. I know there are some organizations that don't do it. And I'm planning to do one of those as well, where everything related to fundraising or what have you should be coming from other sources. So either the co-founders are paying for it or the directors are paying for it or their friends are paying for it. Most of the time what happens is that you don't have a choice as a donor. And, uh, you know, let's say if you donate $1,000 for orphan or $100 for orphan, how much is it making? So you have to understand the journey of that dollar, right? Some of that is mm. going to Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and these ads and the marketers, right? 
So my, my thing, and I don't have a great answer for this, but if the Muslim philanthropy fund is fixed, right? And most Muslims have a set amount of money that they donate. So that means the fund is fixed. Then are the charities competing among each other and paying YouTube and Google and uh, social media, like millions of dollars to just to compete among themselves or what's going on? And who, who is paying those millions of dollars? Is this coming from the donor's money, right? Which they intend to give to a particular cause and it's coming without their consent because it's just the way things work? Or is this coming from grants? Is this coming from the founders and their friends? Um, is this coming? Another thing that people have in, for example, UK, they have gift aid, right? So someone may mm. be using gift aid money, uh, but that's essentially donor's money as well, right? It's coming from their taxes mm. and you may say zero admin, but then you're using gift aid for, you know, marketing and whatnot. So these are some open questions that people need to think about and, you know, dig into and see what options are there and not just like whichever is attractive. So, so these are some of the things I would also avoid clicking on ads and then paying via that. I personally would avoid paying at fundraisers, right? Because these things to me are extra costs that are not, you know, charitable events. I would like to discourage those things and I would like to directly go and, and pay to a charity and discourage these, you know, external uh, social things that are just like, especially if it's coming from donors' money. And lastly, to maximize your tax benefits. So especially in Canada, like I know a lot of people, they donate and they don't get tax receipts. Uh, I don't think that's a wise way of doing things. And Allah knows best because tax money is your money. That's with the government. So you should take that. If you don't want to utilize it, you can put it back into the charity. But why leave it on the table for government, right? It's, it's something that government mm. is allowing you to do. So why leave like those like hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, on the tax table? Yeah, exactly. I think um, Islamic finance guru, they had a, a guide that came out last year where they broke down, I think, 30 different charities in various different sectors. Some of them were supporting um, widowed women. Some of them were supporting uh, new converts to Islam. Some of them were like the popular ones, like Islamic relief and things like that. So I think what you mentioned, they gave them like a score. Obviously, it's just according to Islamic finance guru, but it's a step in the right direction of trying yes. to get people to understand these charities and if it's the best use of their money. And um, also, I think you touched on it where growing up, I used to see all of these competing uh, charities. And back in that day, it was mostly on TV, like especially in Ramadan, like one uh, advert followed by another, followed by another. And I used to think, why aren't they just cooperating? Obviously, quite naively, I was thinking that. But I think the temptation is for someone when they start something small, like let's say if I say, oh, I can start a charity and just start in like the village in Pakistan or something, right? And it feels a lot more organic and close to the core, uh, close on the ground, because it's like I can literally just take money from a friend and have it in my hand, fly on a plane and actually give it, right? So I think it starts from a good place. But then what you have to understand is if you're actually intending on making this into like a bigger charity, you're going to face the same challenges of scale and everything and like adverts and all the rest of it. So it comes down the line, I guess. So that we have to think of a way of uh, kind of mitigating those challenges. Um, lastly, um, because on this project, who doesn't love a good productivity hack? Um, I was going to say, if you could share some advice on managing everything, how do you, mm. uh, because I've had, um, Alhamdulillah, I would say I'm quite a, low anxiety kind of person alhamdulillah and i'm able to manage things but um 
there are days where you get overwhelmed and stuff and that I don't want you to give the, so here's a preface I don't want you to give the answer where you say I'm struggling with this and I don't know because I've asked guests before and the, that's what that that's the answer they give like tell me when you have an answer I want you to try and actually um kind of give us something um how do you deal with like dawah and uh, day job and family and islamic studies and arabic and how how does it all come together definitely so there obviously there are different things that people can do about it like i'm just gonna like have a few different so i'm just gonna say that out loud so first of all i think it starts with that planning that strategy session the goal setting right so uh, on my youtube um youtube plug so i have different playlists and they're all organized in, in a different categories. One is the Dawa, one is the personal development, one is Quran. So under personal development, you will see two playlists. One is, you know, an Asana based and one is Trello based and they also have linked worksheet. So that will help you just like have this overarching plan of what you want to do, right? So if you want to get to some place in one year or five years, you first will need to have that. So some, so that will give you a system on how to document it and how to, you know, check your progress and all that sort of stuff. But I think just going back Firstly, it's also important to realize uh, to have maybe a distinction between what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy, what you think you should be doing. Okay. So because this is important, uh, like, you know, the whole notion of like, you know, urgent and important, right? Yeah. So maybe you can also add this thing in like desired and important because something may be important and you desire it. And there may be something that's important and critical, but you don't desire it. And I'll give you an example mm. of that. So. So that some so for, so you need to have that understanding of you know what falls in which part. So there may be certain things that are desired, but it's not. Uh, sorry, it's something that is important and critical, but it's not desired. Okay. So I think the main project should be something that you desire. Or I think one of the more important thing for me is that are you living your life passionately and productively? So, for example, let's say if someone says, you know what, I'm going to be a full time. Half it. I'm going to put in all my time and go into a full-time shit school. And if you don't desire it, you have to be truthful to yourself because you may end up spending six hours of sitting in the madrasa or the Quran school, but not really memorizing. So Allahu Alam, my personal philosophy, and again, this is just subjective, is that you may be better off doing a part-time Quran program, like two hours or one hour, and then using the rest of the four or five hours in something that you desire. Right. So, so having that clarity is very important. Okay. The second thing is the things that you know are important, but you don't desire them and you need mm -hmm. to have, you need to use higher amount of willpower and discipline. What you can do is make them desirable. So the way you can do that is to use, to, to join a group program. Right. So for example, right now, fitness was a challenge for me. Like, you know, I don't like going to the gym, even though it's very accessible to me. So I have joined like group activities. I have joined like Muay Thai and at a specific time. So it's not that, oh, within the day, I'll just find a time to go to gym. No, it's a specific time. If I don't go at this specific time, I'm going to miss my class. I'm probably going to lose the money. I've already paid for it. I know there are friends going to that thing. So there's a lot of external motivation and enjoyment that makes it easy for me to get to that. Same thing, I've also picked a day with weights and squash with some friends. So instead of finding, you know, something that you don't desire, make it, you know, even it may be not most effective, find something that you can enjoy and, you know, have an external commitment to it. Uh, same thing that I've recently done, you know, uh, for example, I've, I was going to a Quran teacher, a one-on-one -on -one teacher, but I know I was being sloppy about it. So I've signed up for like two Quran classes 
on the phone, on Zoom or WhatsApp, whatever, with, with a teacher so that I have a specific thing to recite to him. And this keeps me more accountable. So, you know, bringing in those external group activities that can, you know, make you do things that are really, really important, but they may be slopping, they may be, you know, uh, slipping out of your calendar, out of your day, just because you're doing other stuff. So that's what I would say. The third thing is, um, I think you mentioned something related to bad. Uh, you know, the whole notion of like uh, creating some sort of a penalty, if you will, right? So just like, you know, sometimes we would use uh, apps like habit share apps. And that's one of the apps that we use among some of the brothers where you do a check-in of your habit, whether it be praying in the masjid or, you know, some, whatever is important to you. So when you have this sort of a accountability group and things like that, you see other people are doing it. And if you're not doing it, you would feel bad about it. So creating those external things. And lastly, if you can, you can have a penalty system as well. So for example, each time you don't, so let's say if you want to have a goal of praying in the masjid fajr, right? You can actually, you know, raise uh, the seriousness of it. So for example, if you have to take a four o'clock, 4 a.m. flight, you will make sure, or 6 a.m. flight, you will make sure you are at the airport at 4 a.m. Because if you don't, the cost is really high to miss the flight. So if, if you have like, okay, every time I don't pray Fajr in the masjid, I'm going to pay $30 to my coach or to my mentor or to my accountability partner. And it's not $30 in charity. They could use it for Starbucks or whatever. You know, mm. at some point it will, it will become like, you know, because right now we like, okay, when we miss Fajr, it's like missing a big opportunity because you only have, mm. you know, X number of Fajr in your life. And after that, it's gone. And now if you want to make it to the masjid, you have an X number of Fajr in your life. After that, it's gone. So missing one fudger is like missing a big million dollar deal if you, if you were to compare that. So how do you yeah. raise the cost of missing it? So that, that could be another tip. Yeah, very, I think I could, <laughs> I could speak to you for a long, long time, I think. But Zakallah um, it's a bit of a challenge to fit all the topics in. So um, the kind of intention behind it is people get, a good enough amount of information that they can build on and then find out other resources to build upon it. So when I'm reviewing this uh, to kind of create the highlights and all the rest of it, um, I'll make sure to try and add as many links as possible. And then um, inshallah, I'll contact you if there's any that I need links for and some of the different workshops and stuff that you referenced. Uh, lastly, I will ask you to share the best place that you would like people or people can reach out to you easiest or where you're most active. Um, all right, great for that. So I think like any any platform, like usually like uh, best is email. However, people can mm. initiate like with uh, with Instagram or uh, Instagram. I think yeah, Instagram would be the good. So we or anything like I have from the like some social media manager. So she does mm -hmm. monitor that. So we should be able to get that and then we can take it forward. And most of the common question, alhamdulillah, like one of the hacks that I've done is I have a response for that. So most of the time I wouldn't have to compile a new response for the request I get. So it's just like a matter of sending, yeah. as I said, like information security, very common question. So I would just like, you know, because you have like hundreds of people asking you about it and only 1% of them will be serious, right? So you give them something yeah. to start with. And if people can utilize those basic foundational guidelines and then show that they're serious, then you can give them more customized advice. So same thing for marriage and other things that people reach out for or halal investment. We have like groups or we have documents for that. So you kind of, you know, you can give that to them and then see where they, where they kind of like take it from, from there. And then depending on what they have applied, you can either uh, give them more customized advice or direct them to someone who may be better fit for their situation.
is there any place where you have all these um, links or documents? Yes. Like so I think, like right, right. So, um, so it depends on the topics. So I think uh, YouTube would be a good place because it's well organized. You can see, mm -hmm. you know, on the main page, you see section depending on the topic that you're interested in, whether it be Quran, whether it be personal development, whatever. And the link tree is another good thing because link tree, uh, I'll send you the link yeah. tree address. It yeah. has a lot of different links to it. And then inshallah, we'll put in some description, uh, some links in the description for cybersecurity, uh, for marriage, for personal development, and for Quran. So these are the four main areas uh, and Dawah training. So we'll put those links inshallah in the description so people can get started. Jazakallah khairan. I thoroughly enjoyed this uh, interview. I learned a lot. And Jazakallah khair for your insights and all the work that you do. May Allah bless you and uh, increase the barakah. Um, a very eclectic mix of different topics. And I didn't even touch on cryptocurrency because, believe it or not, I actually watched your video on doing the bot trading like a year and a half ago, but then obviously everything tanked. So um, <laughs> I thought, let's not mention it this time. But um, like I said, Jazakallah khair for being so gracious with your time. And um, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.